Welcome, everybody, to No Driving Gloves. You have John and Derek tonight. Uh, Will's tied up in his shop. He's got a deadline. You know, if a couple things got put off when he was doing the Rocket Racing Wheels Camaro, and he's trying to play catch-up now for some of his uh, other clients. And we, we totally understand. Hope you can uh, deal without uh, Will's humor again tonight. But he, I bet you he's going to have some stories for us right around the corner. Also, hope you enjoy the uh, two episodes now that have released of No Driving Gloves News. We're working on getting some more news articles and getting things posted every week. If you haven't taken a listen to the No Driving Gloves News, it's going to be uh, either a Thursday or a Friday release. You can kind of consider it a Thursday release. And it'll just be about 10 minutes hitting the top news stories of the week, automobile-wise, trying to with a focus on collectibles, but... It will uh, also hit some street rod stuff, and it will uh, also cover some modern automotive. You know, this week we mentioned something about a class action lawsuit and the Ford sales numbers and that, but also a little touch on uh, the Goodwood uh, Festival of Speed and the Hill Climb. So, Derek, you've been gone for a couple of weeks, too. What You got anything going on, or is it just a bucket of museum work? Yeah, I don't really have a lot going Well. I shouldn't say I don't have a lot going on. I got a lot going on, but it's it's mostly been uh, a lot of work. Um, I've been traveling for work quite a bit, so you know, on some of the trips, it's it's hard to load up all the podcasting stuff and and take it with you. But um, this week I was able to, so I'm actually recording from the road uh, up in uh, Ohio. We were on a what we call museum in motion tour with some of our Corvette museum members up to the Detroit area. They had a good time touring places like Henry Ford Museum and some of the Roush uh, performance facilities, uh, Ken Lingenfelter's collection, and of course General Motors, uh, some of their sites we got some behind the scene tours at, so that was uh, pretty fun for our group. Other than that, John, I think as everybody knows, uh, and as you well know, um, that I'm, I'm basically exactly one month away from the wedding. So uh, a lot of wedding planning going on, which is keeping my life uh, at a steady pace of uh, faster than I can keep up with. Uh, yeah, it's just been, been a lot of uh, work, but also some personal just running around and, and doing as much as I can kind of know the feeling. Uh, as I mentioned in the news article or the news episode, uh, I was supposed to be in Goodwood today uh, playing there, but uh, personal life gets in the way. I got stuck here. Zara will probably join us for an episode here in a week or two, and she'll fill you in. She got her BRZ back from the body shop. A couple of little problems with it. But it happens every time, you know, aim the headlights and where'd this snap ring come from? It doesn't look like it belongs on this car. A couple things like that, but you get that every everybody shop, and they did a nice job on the paint. She's got this funky Subaru blue, but that's about all the kind of car stuff I've done. Uh, say you know, just other than the stuff at work, which I really don't need to bore you all the all the time on it. Putting the X one eighty R together and playing a little bit with one of our new acquisitions, getting the body shipped off to a panel beater in the Northeast, and couple of things like that, trying to get some projects wrapped up and get some projects started and seeing where where it all goes. So that's kind of how um, I've fallen in or been playing with this. When we get, we just have Derek and I, we, we try to, you know, like to keep some of the modern stuff for when Will's here and it, we 
kind of got a backup of topics for when the three of us are together again. But I listen to a couple of podcasts that are three people and there's the irregular absentee and I hope everybody's forgiving of that. And I'm not. Derek's got to pick up because he's the one who usually comes up with this topic for him and I, but we, we actually sat and we figured and, you know, part of the, the deal with the no driving gloves is we're going to do everything we want to do it just like, you know, we sat down and we're having a conversation and that's what Derek and I just spent the last 20 minutes doing having a conversation going, well, what, what do we really want to talk about? What do him and I having, you know, knowledge on that I can say Will wouldn't interject. He'd probably have some interjections on the topic, but looking around, we, we came across an article that was put out by Hagerty on July 5th. Will modern cars be unrestorable someday? And this is a question that gets posed to me all the time is, you know, restoration. And it's, it's a question that's existed in the 20, 25 years I've been in this career. Oh, you're not going to be able to restore this. Cars from the 80s can't be restored. Cars from the 70s can't be restored. And I wasn't around, but I'm sure in the 50s, people were saying, oh, we're not going to be able to restore these cars from the 1950s. Maybe not so, because there wasn't so much of the computer stuff. But this article from Hegarty kind of puts that right out in front of us. And will modern cars be unrestorable? You know, will will the National Corvette Museum say with a uh, we're gonna go with the ZR1 because a mid-engine car I don't know if it's official or not, but say will a 2019 ZR1 be functional in 70 years of the National Corvette Museum? Will, will it be able to be saved? Will you know even a Lotus Elise or you know a Ferrari Enzo? You know we have a 918 in the museum, and a lot of the the question is what's going to become of this car in 50 years? How is that car going to hold up? Because, I mean, everything on it's electronic. You know, will, will you be able to get batteries for it? Will you be able to, you know, update the electronics? And those are, I'm going to say, still some pretty big unknowns when it comes to it. What time has proven to me is I, th- I think it can with various technologies, as Darius, Derek and I will discuss. But I've babbled a little bit here. Where do you want to go on this topic, Derek? Or what's your initial thoughts on it? I do have a lot of concerns about this, especially in the museum world. Uh, you know, we are constantly trying to preserve uh, the artifacts, which includes the cars in the collection. Make sure that down the road, these vehicles are going to be able to run again do everything they're supposed to do when they come out of the factory. As I think all of us know, even from our daily lives of dealing with technology, such as our computers uh, at work or at home, anything that has computer technology, it can give us troubles. And, and you know, a lot of it, unfortunately, is anymore made to be a a throwaway item that when it goes bad, you might as well throw it away and and get something new, which is exactly the opposite of what a museum's trying to do. I I mean, I do. I, I have a lot of concerns that are we going to be able to preserve the computer system of a car long enough that in a hundred years, you know, in, as you say, John, in, in 2,118, uh, will the National Corvette Museum, believing that it still exists and everything goes well for a hundred years, 
uh, yeah, will they be able to get uh, one of the ZR1s out and fire it up and have people be able to see what a hundred year old car at that time, you know, what it was like when it was new and how it ran, you know, believe it or not, I, I do a lot of reading on that. I do a lot of discussing with other museums and conservators in the field about, okay, yeah, we, we know how to handle old mechanical objects, you know, cars from a hundred years ago now, or we know how to preserve them and, and how to keep them running. This electronics thing is a whole new field. And how are we going to do that? Is it just that we're going to accept that those parts are what, for lack of a better term, I guess we would call expendable and we'll find some way to work around them? Or are they, as the essentially brain of the you know, object of the machine, is that the most important part to preserve and make sure it operates the car the way it's supposed to? So I probably spend way too much time thinking about that, especially now that I'm in a museum where we are concerned with preserving probably more computerized cars than you know, just mechanical cars. You know, the Corvette's only been around since 1953. We're dealing probably with more cars in our collection that are computerized than are just old mechanical, you know, functioning vehicles. So I guess long-winded into a short-winded statement, I'm pretty concerned, John. You bring up some good points and you know, I guess I I think about it a lot from just, are we going to be able to keep these functional? And you think about it, are we going to be able to keep these functional the way they are today? It's interesting because, I, as I've mentioned in a couple of episodes, I have spent a little bit of the last couple of weeks playing with three new model, three quote, new model Ts, at least new to us. And, you know, these are 100-year-old cars. I mean, 1926, 1923, and 1916. These are 100-year-old cars, and I'm, they were state-of-the-art technology when they came out. And they were Model Ts, so while we think of, you know, old South Bend Lays and old Bridgeport Mills and cast-iron tools, they last forever. These were products of Henry Ford, too, and built as cheaply as and, and as quickly as possible. You know, I can play, well, it's a disposable society today, and things are different, and you know, plastics go away and, you know, the metal's thinner and things like that, which is kind of true. But these are, like I said, Model Ts. They were built to be driven and built to be patched and put together and run, run, but they weren't exactly Rolls-Royce cutting-edge technology of the day either. But we've managed to, you know, we've managed to keep up with it. And I think when we're looking back in a hundred years, no, we'll take a Tesla of today. I think in a hundred years, there will be running Teslas. Now, of course, I am a big believer in, and we've discussed, and the more I think about it, it's going to happen. And we're going to go to this autonomous pod society for transportation within the next 50 years or so. It's a whole nother show topic in that, but my, my thinking's that way. And cars on the road will be enjoyable as far as i guess they might not even be on the road you'll have to go to a private racetrack or a private area to operate them 
in the museum world, that's what you're going to have to do. And with the advent of Arduinos and um, Raspberry Pi computers and that, that's how these things are going to be powered. Because, I mean, you can get a Raspberry Pi now that's just as powerful as a computer I bought in the year 2000. And, you, you know, write simple code and make the thing work. And uh, these little little bits of technology can come, I think, can be adapted to keep the cars running and functioning. But as Derek said, is the car the brain? I mean, you know, Tesla with, say, its level three autonomous and Cadillac coming out with a level five autonomous car in a couple of years, those are living beings, really. And Eric's right. Is that ECU the car? Can you... I'm going like Buck Rogers and Twiggy and that. Is are are the is there a personality to them? And is that Knight Rider? There, there you go. Was Kit the Trans Am or was Kit the circuit board in it? And I think that's where Derek's thinking, and that's probably the decision. You know, right now the discussion is what makes a car real. If you've got a D-type Jaguar, what makes that a D-type Jaguar? Is it the fender? Is it the VIN number? Is it the steering wheel? Is it a factor that determine what makes a D-type Jaguar a D-type Jaguar? What makes a Porsche a Porsche? You know, it's a VIN plate. What makes a Lotus a Lotus? It's the the serial number plate. In the future, is it going to be what defines X car? Is it the is it the personality? You know, is it the computer or is it the serial number or are they one? So yeah, now we're all philosophical. Well, yeah, and I, I, you know, that's (laughs) at least I think in the museum world, that's one of the odd places we go sometimes is the the philosophy behind it. I guess I don't see it as being too terribly different from, let's take Bentley Old Number One, which is the Bentley race car that you know raced at the Brooklands and places like that, and you know was a championship car. I mean, just set records, did all those things. And over time, of course, and you can do this with probably a hundred plus other race cars, but over time, the engine's taken out because it wears out and they throw another one in it and they keep racing it. Well, then it gets wrecked. Okay. Well, the wrecked body comes off, a different body goes on. Well, now we get another wreck or something happens and the chassis gets tweaked. So let's take the chassis out and put another chassis under it. And eventually we get the original parts of of the famed race car, uh, whichever one we're talking about, doesn't matter. All of a sudden, the the frame of that car is in another car. The body's on another car and the engine's in another car. Now you've got three cars that have parts, all have part. Which one is the original car which which part gets to carry that life on is it the engine because it's the part that did the work is it the chassis because that is the backbone of the 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 you know skeleton of the thing or is it the body because that's what the appearance was when the car did all the record setting uh, driving and things like that and I think it's the same with with the computer unit in any of these cars. You know, at the the National Corvette Museum, we had the 
the sinkhole. Everybody knows about the sinkhole. You know, we, we had eight cars fall into a sinkhole. They were all recovered. Uh, three of them were restored and five of them have not been. One of those is a ruby red 40th anniversary Corvette. It's essentially damaged beyond repair. We'll, we'll call it that. Porter of the museum felt, uh, you know, bad that we had lost uh, cars in the sinkhole and they owned another 40th anniversary ruby red Corvette, pretty much identical to the one that we had and have in the collection that fell in the sinkhole. So they decided to donate the car. So we would have a, as it came from factory, 40th anniversary ruby red Corvette. And, you know, because we, we had the one lost to the sinkhole. The only problem with it was the computer was having a few issues preservation team at the museum this was before i was there um not saying that i would have done things differently but just you know recognizing those people decided that they were interested to see if the computer unit from this car that fell in the sinkhole still operated so they took it out took the one out of the one that was donated and put it in and sure enough it still operates just as it would have before the car fell into the sinkhole and the car that was donated now, you know, was running just fine on the computer from the sinkhole car. So the question becomes now that the computer from the sinkhole car is in the other car, is that car in some way kind of part of the sinkhole car now? Like, where yeah, you know, where is where does this kind of philosophical debate end? It's probably way beyond anything any other, you know, just car collector would think about. But it it is the way we go in the museum world, which is when you take any original component of a vehicle off of it and put it on another one, what is that doing to the authenticity and the the history of those vehicles? We kind of joke it because we have, you know, the John Surtees Ferrari 158 Formula One car that he won the world championship in in 1964. While we were having the restoration done of this car, and kind of like Derek, before I was with the museum, this was being done, and it was being done by, uh, the work was being done by, I believe, a sport auto in Italy. Does a lot of Ferrari restorations, supported by the factory, etc. But they were doing all of this work, and they said... We could build a second car, you know. We've had to make these castings for the uprights. We've had to make all of these pieces. It wouldn't be that much more difficult to build a second car if you would want a second car. So you don't have to race the original or whatever you want to do. You would have a replica. And we were able to secure another 1964 Ferrari V8 that was, you know, age-appropriate. Um, everything, and it's just not the chassis number, you know, tied to Surtees for the championship. So we elected to have a replica made. And, of course, in the museum, if you've ever visited the museum, we have the original car displayed in Ferrari racing red, and we have the replica done in a blue and white, the uh, NART colors, North American Racing Team, because, as the story goes, it's a little sidetracked, there was an issue at Le Mans with Ferrari, and the Ferrari cars were disqualified from Le Mans. And because of that, Ferrari pulled his cars, or Enzo pulled his cars from every form of racing that season. 
but this was at the very tail end of the season. Surtees was campaigning for a world championship, and he could win it. And he was able to talk Enzo into selling his Formula One car to Luigi Cinetti up in, in New York and running it under the North American racing team colors. And that's how the season finished. The last four races, the car was run in blue and white, only for factory Ferrari to ever campaign that way uh, in Formula One. And a lot of little ties to that. And Surtees won the championship. That's a long story to get to my short little point here. That 1964 Ferrari also carries the first Momo steering wheel ever made. And for the longest time, that steering wheel, that original 1964 steering wheel, was on the replica. And when John visited the museum once, he noticed it and he kind of objected to that and said, that needs to go on my car. And we, you know, kind of joked with him. He was kind of serious, or he was serious, put it that way, no kind of about it. But we joked with him that, well, isn't this, doesn't that make this an original car too? Because, like Derek just said, it has the steering wheel. And if you're familiar with 1960s Formula One racing, you have a driver, you have two fuel tanks, and you have a motor, and that's all you have. So the steering wheel, all it, it, it was the brains behind this thing. It guided this missile. Um, and that's what they, you know, they were a bomb. And if it wasn't for that steering wheel, I mean, it was a bomb. So as Derek just, you know, alluded to is, is that the, you know, would have that made the car an original? What made the car an original? Or could we actually, you know, could we go to Goodwood and say, hey, this is the correct car. It needs to... Will you allow it to enter the Festival of Speed? We don't race our cars, so we, well, not the, the Festival of Speed, the, the Revival. We don't race our cars, but those cars need to be original on track. And, you know, I've heard some discussions with um, the Duke of Richmond, which is formerly known as, was formerly Lord, Lord March, you know, and would you allow some of these replicas that, you know, Jaguar is making with the XKSSs and, the e lightweight E-types and things like that, would you allow those to run because they're built new? But And he's saying no. Uh, you know, I'm kind of with a, a group of people that if you own the original car, maybe you should be allowed to campaign the replica because I mean, we're dealing with a world right now that there's a Ferrari going to, you know, a Ferrari just sold for, $60, $80 million, I can't remember which, to a guy that sells floor mats, which I believe Derek has endorsed in the past. Um, and we've got another Ferrari GTO going up to auction that's uh, going to be, you know, estimates could be $60 million. You know, this is getting to be fine art, and no matter what you say, I mean, granted, you know, IT people will just punch $100 million paintings, but, you know, car guys are, have a little bit more respect for the art that they have in do you really want to put $60 million out on a racetrack? But on the flip side, do you want to deprive the world of seeing that $60 million car run and what it sounds like and, you know, relive history with it? You know, I don't think we're doing a lot of discussion on will modern cars be unrestorable, but we're doing a lot of discussion on what is going to be, you know, what constitutes originality in a car. Well, I think we can flip it back to that discussion, though, John, because, 
you know, now we've talked about if you take the computer um, out or have to work around it, uh, is it still the original car? So, you know, in that question, it's going to be a question of what does restored mean? You know, and and I guess this gets into a very possibly a deeper discussion than we can possibly have uh, in one episode. We may have to do multiple episodes talking about restoration in general, because as you get into restoration, you know, you have to you have to replace things some in some cases, you know, sheet metal rusts and you have to put new sheet metal in place uh, to restore a car sometimes. You know, the interiors uh, break down over time. You have to put a new interior in. Uh, you try to match it as close as possible, obviously, but it is a, a, a usually a new fabric that you put in. So, you know, in the restoration end of things over the preservation end of things where we kind of, I think we're headed in the beginning of this, in the future, will a current modern day car, uh, 2018, be restorable? I guess in, in a not too deep of a dive um, yet, but a kind of just a, a quick answer to that would probably be, yes, it's going to be restorable, which means somebody's going to be able to take a brand new Ferrari or a brand new core, you know, the Corvette ZR1 that's out right now, or whatever car, the last Dodge Viper built, if it gets parked outside for the next 30 years, and the paint shot and the interior shot and the uh, electronics have been, you know, chewed up by mice. You can always repair or replace the body panels, whether they're fiberglass or sheet metal or, you know, aluminum, steel, whatever it is. You can always replace those. You can always replace the interior because we have the technology currently to do it, just like. We had the technology a hundred years ago to do what they were doing in cars. Then we pretty much can recreate that technology. Now it's getting harder and harder, um, mainly because I don't think people want to put that much effort into it. We will be able to figure out a way to get around an elect electronics system. You know, the computer system of a car. Uh, you know, the, the article you mentioned earlier, John from Haggerty even talks about, you know, some kind of creative work now where there's, um, was it uh, like USB drives and things that can kind of override the, the computer systems and, and make the car run even without the computer system working, um, forgive me. I don't, I, I, I read through the article quickly and I don't remember every detail of it. I think on a on a uh, kind of a, a very cursory top level look, we could say that yes, a modern car is going to be restorable in a hundred years, but or fifty years or whatever it is. But to me, it's that then twisting the question to 
when you restore a car, what do you call restoring a car as to authenticity and originality? Uh, you know, so if it's not running on the computer system it came out of the factory with, are you truly restoring it to what it's supposed to be? Maybe that's the bigger question here. I don't know. How do, how do you feel about it, John? Well, in listening to you discuss this at the beginning of the episode, I said I've been working on the X180R at work. Now, this is one of five cars, and it's it's basically a Lotus Esprit. These five cars share a thing with every road-going Lotus Esprit, and that's the ABS control, which is no longer available. And it's an electronic system that if the ABS electronics decides to fail, you have no brakes. It's not that you have manual brakes or you don't have ABS. You have no brakes because just the way the electronics in the system works and the way it actuates the pumps and you have no brakes. The only way if you want to have a road going Esprit, um, these are the Stevens cars 88 and beyond, is to go back and put a power brake system in the car. Uh, there's a gentleman that has fabricated and figured out how to pretty much do this as a bolt-in thing, utilizing some tilt and master cylinders and that. But you lose your ABS, but you keep the car on the road. Just about every restoration career I've had, even museum conservation careers I've had, you pick a point in time and you want to replicate that point in time. You know, in a museum conservation, it's maybe a tragedy. Uh, when we did the Saturn V rocket, you know, some of it was 1969, some of it was 1963, depending on the portion of the Saturn V that we were discussing. But you pick these snapshots in time. If it's for display only, which our X180R will be primarily display only, we're going to leave that ABS system intact. We, it still works, but the day it decides to fail, they don't give you any warning. They just fail and you hit something especially since it's a race car and you're usually not driving it slow. So it's just a fact of life there that'll happen, but it keeps those pieces correct and displays everything the way it should be. The other four X180Rs that are in existence have the modification and they have braking systems that function. So ours being in its museum setting, it's being restored to that museum world to teach people history the way it is without altering it. And that's that's one belief I have when it comes to history. You don't alter it, you just live with the way the way it was. To take it to real southern roots, Dale Earnhardt never won a sprint car championship. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt only won Winston Cup championships. Uh, maybe Grand National Championships in his earlier days. You can't erase history, and that's what I think Derek and I are really taking this discussion to. And when we restore a car, because we're doing it from a museum standpoint, trying to teach you what the car was or what the artifact was, whether it was a car or in Lotus's case, or Lotus, Lotus case, an airplane motor or an electric vehicle or a boat, you know, the Moonraker yachts. Whatever you want, it needs to go back to the way it was presented at a certain point in time, and we'll tell you what that point in time is. 
Now I'm doing a car to the Targa Floria right now, and it's going to involve that rebodying half of the car um, and finding a motor the car hasn't run with in 50 or 60 years. We're going for that Targa Floria point in time, and you've got to make everything right. So I don't know if we've actually discussed will modern cars be restorable. I think that's going to be a topic for another episode, but Hey, I discussed it. I mean, I, I said at a, a, a top-level glance, yes, they will be because, you know, but it's it's more of that deeper question of, I guess, what is the definition of restored? Yeah, we're, we're answering the question, are we restoring cars? Are we preserving cars? Or are we, I think the way the Hegarty article's written and in this conversation you know, I think we're answering the question, will modern cars be unrestorable? And I think people like Derek and I are going to do our best to make sure they're properly restored. What the Hegarty article really is asking is, or what I interpret it as, will modern cars be able to be operated in the future? And because they do allude to, oh, you, well, you can replace a fuel injection system and put a mega squirt on there or put a... Um, Holly electronic, you know, injection system on there, which we've done it at work on a, a Lola replica. And, you know, we have the stacks and everything, and it's a Holly fuel injection system. Uh, the Sinclair C5 we have a, at the museum, and I'm, I really want to find one and import one for myself because they're so much cheaper in England. I was just talking to a gentleman on Facebook about it yesterday. There's a whole, one of the things that turns me on about that is these cars with Arduinos, and with modern battery technology and with modern electric motors, uh, look up Sinclair C5. This is the, one of the smallest electric cars, ever, or actually smallest cars ever made. There's a whole menu on the Sinclair web's, owner's website of all these parts you can print 3D. And we, you know, I've discussed it before. I love 3D printing. That's one of my other hobbies. You can print all these you know, improvements or little things for it. And I think that that's that's answering Hagerty's question because they talk about 3D printers and, like I said, the, the computer systems. And you can make any part you want with a 3D printer, provided you've got enough money for the right 3D printer or you sub it out to somebody or laser cutters and things like that because nobody does sand castings, etc. anymore. 3D printing has just made it accessible. In answer to the Hagerty article, which is where Derek and I started with this, I'm going to say, will modern cars be unrestorable? To answer that question, no, they won't. Will modern cars be, I guess, will modern cars be unrestorable? Yes, they will, except in the most strict sense of the, the most strict. How do I want to say that? I'm going to have to do a lot of editing here. You're, yeah, you're kind of confusing me here because you're going, right now you're going the opposite way I was. You're saying, no, they're not going to be restorable? No, I'm going to say that, they are well actually i'm going to say no they're not going to be restorable people like derek and i will do our best to preserve them and continue their operation but to me a restoration is not keeping the car operational and that's what i th like i said what i think the hagerty question is is will modern cars be able to be operated or continually operated and yes they will the ford raptor that you're driving 40 years from now is not going to be the Ford Raptor you're driving today. It's going to have a different fuel injection system on it. It's going to have a different ECU. 
it's going to have a different, you know, every, everything computer on that car will be operated differently. Uh, it'll be updated, you know, circuitry or this universal ECU that people are going to be able to buy. And, oh, it'll operate these vehicles. But I don't think you'll see the Ford ECU being used except in those strict circumstances at the National Raptor Museum. A Corvette Stingray at the National Corvette Museum, yeah, it'll prob they'll probably have five or six correct ECUs for a 2019 Corvette that will maintain that vehicle. But those ECUs will be treated like gold, you know, kept in, you know, a static proof vault or something because of the fragility those will have in 50 years. But it'll allow them to tell the story. The guy driving the 50-year-old 2019 Corvette and, you know, 2069. No, his car won't have a lot of those original pieces on it. A numbers matching Corvette in 2069 is going to, I'm going to say, isn't going to exist. So did I answer that question or did I just totally screw up everybody out there? We just all need a drink. I, I fell asleep. What? Sorry. No, <laughs> uh, no I, I think you've... I mean, I think we're both on the same page here, which is, and, you know, I, I said at a cursory level, they're going to be restorable, but I, I will change that to say that I agree with you in what I meant was they're still going to be operable. You know, people are going to find a way to do that. Now, you know, we're going to do our best to preserve them, as you say, in their factory condition. And that likely will mean that it's going to be hard to have a running one as it came out of factory at this point. Restorable in the way you and I would define it is probably going to be a, a no answer. And I think that's what you were saying. Yeah, you said that in a lot fewer words than I did. Sorry for wasting 10 minutes of everybody's lives. but <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, you, you drug out the episode, so we're good. Maybe we answered that question. Maybe we didn't. You know, I don't think we answered it in nearly the way I imagined uh, this conversation going. I guess we'll sit down with Will in an episode or two or three or at some point and discuss restoring modern cars and how we see that going in the future. You know, again, adding changing ECUs and fuel injection systems and tire technology and you know, composites and things like that. Well, and I think it'll be interesting to get uh, Will in on this conversation because, you know, he puts a lot of modern drivetrains with a lot of electronic components into his hot rods, you know, to find out what probably the question I will ask him is as the builder of these cars, what does he hope for these cars in the future? In other words, you know, if he came back, you know, if he was brought back to life in 2118 and one of his hot rods still existed in a museum, let's say, you know, some museums like, hey, a big oak garage, an example of a hot rod they did. And it had electronic components because he put a modern crate engine in it with a lot of electronics, electronic gauges, things like that. As the man who built that car, how would he feel if he went to the museum and they were running it, but they had modified it to run and, and changed a bunch of stuff? 
on it just to make it run? I, I think that would be the interesting question to ask because, you know, both you and I know we try to capture that moment in time or the builder's original intent. So it would be interesting to hear from someone who is a builder of a vehicle that has electric electronic components well, what his thoughts As you were talking, be. I'm sitting here thinking, boy, you and I talked this one way to death. And the, and I'm sorry, but but the funny kid from Alabama who grew up in Alabama who lives in, you know, a town of 12 or what was that 12,000? I can't remember our population episode. No, I've 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 been there. It's um, pretty close to 12. This is the guy who's taking apart modern sh- electronic shifters and modern fuel injection systems and adapting them and making them work and working in ways they never were intended. To, to be honest, and this, I, I'm in the, in the crazy John way that I work, this is a huge compliment to Will. He probably understands this better than 90% of the people out there because, like I said, I, I can't say it because I don't know if he wanted us to say it or discuss it, but one of the shifter linkages that he was building, I thought was as complex as could be. And, oh, no, it's just a servo, and it's just this and just that, and we're putting it in this. And Okay. And, you know, he moved door, you know, electronic door handles from the GTR into the Dart we talk about so often. And, you know, adapting all of this stuff that never, you know, 65 dart with gtr door handles that function and i mean everything in that that car functions the way it's supposed to be and it's like a car well we started this conversation and i was saying well because will isn't here we maybe Derek and i now i'm finishing it going now maybe will needs to be in on this conversation because he understands how non-complex this complex stuff is you know if he listens to this episode before the next time we record, he's going to have such uh, a big head. We have that video of you and him. He has a big head. His beard might contribute. Well, that's true. Well, I think he grows the beard well, to try to balance probably, it out. Uh, I go with that. But I think uh, with that and complimenting Will, we're going to wrap up this episode for tonight. Maybe we answered your question. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we posed more. So as I say all the time, Shoot us an email, no driving gloves at gmail.com. Uh, look us up on Facebook or Instagram, no driving gloves, all one word. Uh, take a look at it. I mean, everything. Give us some topic ideas, too. There's got to be some things that you want us to talk about. And with that, I think we'll uh, close up this evening and talk to you. And, well, I'll talk to you in four more days with a n- new episode of No Driving Gloves News. And Derek and I, and hopefully Will, will be back in a week with uh, the standard episode of NDG. Yeah, but hopefully it'll be part two of this if Will's back, because that'll be fun. We'll give it a try. That's it for tonight. See you later.